All right, welcome to the uh, Moving Forward podcast. This is your host, Corey Cottrell. I got my very good buddy, Rio Verdier, on here. Hey, guys. <laughs> I don't know why that, just that pause makes me laugh every time. I don't even know why. Um, <laughs> so we got, uh, you go by Eric. Eric, I just looked out there and I was like, looks like Brooke. I'm like, hey. So uh, we're going to break with tradition today, and uh, uh, Rio's going to make some, uh, some basic introductions uh, and uh, and then set things up, and then we'll, we'll we'll carry on. Yeah. So I asked Eric to come on the pod because I was talking to him on Twitter, and as a lifelong Democrat, he was expressing a lot of concerns about the extremes of the far left or the alt left or the progressive left or whatever you want to call them. I think that's a more of a matter of semantics what we call them, but we're talking about a certain group of people. I think most of us know who we're talking about. Um, and I share a lot of his concerns, but I'm worried that as a never Trump conservative and, you know, re very recent um, implant to the party, that I don't really have the credibility to make those kinds of concerns. I think a lot of people would be like, well, why should we have, why should we care what you have to say about the Democratic Party? Rio? No, not um, I have yeah, said that. Yeah. I have so, said that explicitly. So I want to let, I want to let Eric make voice those concerns because um, I am worried about the fact that the insofar as the democratic party is associated with those elements it is only going to make it that much harder to defeat trump so i i i, I happen to agree with eric that i think that the party needs to do more than it has done to distance itself explicitly from those radical elements so i want to give him a chance to explain those and then after that we'll move into a conversation about the alt left and the alt right which one's worse and finally we'll talk a little bit about you know which one has more influence in the party now and what the possible downsides are of them gaining or losing influence in the future. So, but first, Eric, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, uh, so my name yeah, is Eric Newbery. The, the Zoom thing, I'm not sure about. That must be my wife. She, uh, she uses Zoom for meetings and somehow I just got tagged into hers. But my name is Eric, not Brooke. Um, and yeah, I was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, obviously, it being a deep blue state, um, you know, I, I grew up pretty progressive. Um, I was even pretty much a self-described socialist for uh, most of my formative years. You know, I, I was pretty much the full on, you know, uh, real communism has never been tried type of thing. Um, and I was, uh, you know, I, I was like that probably till my mid 20s, somewhere in that area. Um, and basically that was just because like, I started, you know, reading into it more and getting more interested in it. And it kind of had the opposite effect. Some people that kind of makes them circle the drain a little bit faster, but instead it kind of did the opposite effect for me where I was like, well, this is a lot different than I thought it was going to be. Um, and so that kind of gave me a lot of interesting perspectives. And probably by the time I was about 26 or so, I was, I was pretty stalwartly anti-social. Anti, uh, anti um, still progressive, still, you know, in favor of policies and progressive policies stuff. Um, but then, you know, kind of as the years went on, um, we kind of had the emergence of anti-Islamism, um, you know, where that kind of had a lot of blowback from progressive elements, you know, obviously things like Islamophobia and, and such. Um, you had progressive campuses that kind of had a stream of issues, things like uh, Evergreen, um, campus talks where, you know, there would maybe protests would break out a little bit in violence, things like that. Um, and, you know, it kind of went like that where it's kind of been escalating. And then kind of recently, obviously, you've, you've had 
what I would say is the murder of, of George Floyd, but that obviously, you know, kind of snowballed into previously where people were like, you know, when you describe these things, well, that's just kind of hokey kids, that's just, you know, college campuses, that type of thing. Uh, and I think now we're kind of thrust in a point where we're all kind of having to get grips, get to get grips where it's, it's, it's not as contained as we thought it was, right? You have elements of ideas that are now entering the, the regular full sphere of, of, of political life. You have, well, you know, white fragility is now, you know, basically a bestseller in the country. You know, you have, you know, you have corporate trainings that are exploding everywhere. Um, you know, politicians are aligning with 1619, 1619's one Pulitzer Prize, so on and so forth. So, you know, there's an expansion of these ideas on a level that we did not see prior. Um, and so that's kind of led me to a position where, at least temporarily, you know, it's kind of like a separation for me from the Democratic Party, where it's, you know, I'm still left, I'm still in favor of, of, of smattering of progressive policies. But Unfortunately, I thought there was a timeline where regular Democrats and regular leftism could reconcile its more progressive side. And unfortunately, I'm getting to a point where I, I don't see how that's easily going to happen. And in fact, to some extent, uh, you know, actually the opposite, where you're, you're worried about like beating Trump and things like that. In, in my opinion, I don't think beating Trump's going to be the problem. I think Trump and the GOP are going to cease to exist. And you think he's going to lose in November, and what we consider the, the GOP is probably going to cease to exist within, I don't know, uh, 10 years, something like that. Um, and so what we're really going to have is, is kind of a civil conflict between moderate leftism and progressive progressivism. And that's going to be where the actual, what people call the culture war and things like that, that's where it's going to be. Okay, I know Corey's going to want to have a lot to say about that. <laughs> do you want to talk first, Corey, or do you want me to go? I just want clarification. Um, what in your mind is the 1619? Uh, well, 1619 is basically kind of the, the, so to all kind of far left narrative, there seems to be a, a three-step program. There is start with some form of in the history where you start saying where oppression comes from, where um, systems of oppression, like where did they all start, uh, what it was all founded on. Then eventually, usually the ideologies move into present day. So this would be like the evolution would be obviously flat founded on slavery. Uh, slavery is, is, was practiced and to the point where the country is founded on it. And that's all it really had to do with. And then it became, while well, that segued, even though we won the Civil War and, and abolished slavery, that kind of went into things like Jim Crow. And then now today, we now kind of have a theory of, well, mass incarceration is essentially a continuation of Jim Crow, which is a continuation of slavery. And therefore, mass incarceration is essentially a continuation of slavery. So that to me is, is 1619 is the foundation of saying, you know, the country is built on this. And then it feeds into the other theories of saying that's where we are now, which is essentially in the same position, you know, just okay. farther. And I, sorry, I, 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 and maybe I'm just misreading this entirely. I got the impression that you think that's a bad thing. Yeah, uh, it, I think that history is always going to have to be taken in a more nuanced way, right? You're, you're, whenever history starts to become almost agenda, where it's like, you know, we have to find a way of looking at history that identifies an enemy, 
that identifies specifically oppression and then filter it into current day thinking, that tends to be a not a good spectrum, right? I mean, this is where a lot of cultures went down. This is not to make any direct comparisons and say it's literally Nazism, literally Stalinism. You can see there are various elements that are similar where they essentially started saying, well, we're gonna look in the past. That's essentially what Marxist historicism is, looking in the past saying oppression comes from, and then effectively it still you know, continues today and, and so on. You know, this is my, this is my problem three white guys talking about oppression in America, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, there's always the, 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 the fear I have is that it not only looks like, but is real self-serving to dismiss a discussion about oppression in America by a bunch of white guys. Mm-hmm. All right, right, let me step that's in here. That's, <laughs> but no, like, is no, it, I think, like, I think what, this is where, I think this is where we right? need, no, I think this is where we need to step in. Okay, so, the Eric's right about the um, the Marxist element of it, and so Corey, to kind of pr- provide some context for you here, this goes back to the difference between equity and equality, right? And so equality is achieved once everybody has equal opportunity under the law. The goal of equity, on the other hand, is the idea that everybody should have equal outcomes. And until you have totally equal outcomes across the board between every possible demographic you can think of, um, the only possible explanation for not having that must be some kind of top-down systemic oppression. So it's, it's, it's based on the assumption that in a truly free market, everybody would come out having exactly the same size of house. Everybody would have the same boat. They'd all have two and a half kids and a white picket fence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and any market that doesn't result in that requires massive government intervention in, in order to artificially ensure that it happens. And that is the difference. That is, that is the separation between a liberal like Eric and myself and you um, to some extent, I think, um, and the Marxist left is that the liberal believes in the equality part, but not the equity part. You see what I'm saying? So it's not, it's not. No, here's what the, here's I, what the problem. I, no, hold on. on. Here's the problem. That presumes that your liberal market wasn't rat fucking an entire subset of the population of the United States for 400 years. This sounds Rio and I love you to death. It sounds like cover. It sounds like cover, right? Like, Oh, the BLM movement, this is the subject. The BLM movement is just subsumed with Marxism. Like, come on. Well, okay, wait a second. Let me, let me respond to that specifically. Um, I don't deny that for certain people who have their own agenda where they wanna make sure that, you know, say white people maintain their, their place of privilege in society, right? might be motivated to do it for that reason, but that's not actually where I'm coming from here, right? Where I'm coming from is I'm not, I'm not denying that there is, there is a, a history of all of the things that, that Eric just said, right? But what I'm saying is I don't believe, you know, this is, this is related to the whole utopian populist thing, right? Um, they're not comparing the status quo to some alternative realistic status quo. They're comparing it to a utopian dream world that will never exist where everybody Who's they has and all- when did they do this? Right? Because like, here's what I'm hearing. <clears throat> the entire Black Lives Matter movement, let's face facts, that's what we're talking about right now. The entire Black Lives Matter movement 
is all about equity. Every single one of them wants reparations and to have that. as much, but that's what you're saying. That's what no, you're saying. That's not right? what I'm saying. Because we're about so, equity, not equality under no, the let's law, not, right? Let's not, let's, okay, so let's try to avoid straw men here. I think that some Not at all. That's not what I just did, <laughs> but okay. Okay. Well, I mean, but the, I didn't say, I didn't say all, all everybody or all of them or whatever. I'm talking about- Well, no, that's, that's what you said. That's literally what you said, Rio. You said they are for ex- equity. What did you right. mean by that? I meant the people who are for it. Right. And so obviously it's not true. Like, you know, people, people will sometimes generalize about like the Republican party or the democratic party as if everybody all believes the same thing. We know that's not true. Right. Right. So it's obviously not true that any group of people from, you know, no movement is cohesive. People have different ideologies. And frankly, a lot of the movement activists on the street don't actually understand the intellectual foundations of these ideas. So they don't, they're not really for them or against them. They don't necessarily understand them, right? What I'm saying is you can acknowledge that there are lots of historical injustices and that the world isn't fair and the world will never be a perfectly fair place. But let me ask you this, like where, is, where, would it, where does it stop? Because if, if you go back far enough in history, everybody got an advantage through some kind of unfair, you know, so somebody war, this country that won this war or, you know, Rome fell, what if Rome had not fallen? You know what I mean? Like, you, like it, 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 the, the debate comes down to like, is it the government's job to right all of the wrongs throughout all of human history and make sure everybody has exactly the same things starting now? That's like, or is like, it the government's like, job to try to make the future yeah. from now on as fair as possible? No, I, because I, I don't believe that the first yeah. goal is even possible. And I think right. that any attempt to achieve it is inevitably going to trample on the rights of people to be treated under, uh, equally under the law. There's I no like, way to artificially yeah, okay. bring so about on. the equality of outcome without again, that's, violating that's not, the equality right. under the law part. But like, and, and this is the thing, like the, the, this, this conversation was always going to get in the weeds because like the, the, the idea that um, is like, am I explicitly for creating, you know, uh, equity? Of course not. And honestly, I don't know anyone that is, right? That's never been what this is about, but that's what you just said, they, right? Like the opposite side of this argument, they want everyone to have the same thing, like we're all a bunch of socialists. And like, that's, that's not a straw man argument, it's just literally not true. It's like inventing a boogeyman out of a uh, whole cloth to create an enemy that doesn't exist, right? Now, the, the only thing that I've seen people do and again, talking about, you know, reparations or whatever, right? Like the, the ethical and moral argument for reparations is bulletproof. Now, the pragmatic structure of doing it is just, that's really hard and crazy. You see, like, and I comes actually with all, disagree and comes right with all there the, already. Well, that's, I, I mean, I don't, in, in, I don't think in what the way? Because, because, as I said, if you were to do that in a truly fair manner, the government would have to intervene in every single other conceivable injustice throughout history that could have resulted in anybody else's current status, right? Like we all wound up where we are because some of our ancestors succeeded toppling other ancestors, right? And, and so like picking, singling out one aspect of the, you know, millions of injustices throughout history is not actual, I mean, this is again, this is the government playing favorites is what it is. And what yeah. we need to do is we need to make mm. sure we need to make sure that from now on everybody is treated equally under the law. And we're I mean, never that's, honestly that's where we're going to end up. But well, like, exactly. Like, well, and our consensus the, position is something like UBI, right? Because that's exactly it. That can actually yeah. that can actually happen, right? And yeah, and so, because so it's actually and you fair, fix the problem, right? Yeah. It's actually yeah. fair. It goes to everybody, right? You see what I'm saying? Anyway, yeah. um, so so Eric, um, like. 
can you talk a little bit more about some of uh, some of your concerns? Because I know you brought up the the socialism thing on mm -hmm. Twitter, and you, and you made a point that I thought was pretty interesting, which was basically you said like, you know, seventy percent of millennials say when they're asked that they will they, they would be willing to vote for a socialist, and how would people feel if say seventy percent of boomers were willing to vote for a self-avowed fascist? Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that that. So I think that speaks to your point that this is a bigger problem than, I mean, that's more of a generational difference, not maybe we're assuming yeah. all of those millennials are Democrats. We don't really know that's true, right? Mm -hmm. Nor do we know that they'll actually stay as radically left as they are once they get a job and start paying taxes, well, I think, I think frankly. The, the, but it is a little bit disconcerting. Yeah, I think that the big, so for me, this comes down to, I do want things to happen, right? So, you know, for instance, let's talk about, you know, I mean, this is just an example. I'm not trying to switch it to this topic, but say climate change, right? There are pragmatic things that we can do today to start helping climate change, right? We could use nuclear technology. We could, you know, you can start trying to, to innovate with carbon capture technology. You can try using, you know, various forms of incentives to, you know, either cut production or to switch production to a different means, so on and so forth. Um, but instead, you know, a lot of times the topic ends up getting soaked up by the kind of more farther, you know, the Extinction Rebellion types and stuff like that. The ones that are like, well, the, the earth is literally going to basically die in a matter of, of 10 years. Or, you know, when, you, when they, you kind of press them on that, it becomes, well, no, we didn't say it's going to, you know, be an, an extinction level event. We just say that, you know, there's going to be some sort of massive cataclysm that's going to cause you know, uh, migration will all of a sudden, you know, spike everywhere and, you know, basically some form of, of doomsday scenario. So, and it ends up being this problem where you're, you're trading, doing things you can do. And I think this is something that kind of speaks to your guys, you know, in, in the episode of the new narrative or whatever, where you, know, you want to do something, be a helper, I think as, as Corey puts it, you know, instead of just sort of sitting there saying, I don't want the species to die and I'm more interested in stonewalling anything I can from, from moving forward, unless it's my, say, Green New Deal or something like that, that has, has to, you know, cut all oil production or whatever, ban all cars. You know, it's just, it's sort of ridiculous and goes off into nowhere. And we do that, and I think progressivism, unfortunately, does that with a myriad of things, whether it's inequality, whether it's, it's climate, whether it's-, it's Healthcare. It's, Healthcare, whether it's 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 racial relations or inequality, you know, it's just it, it does it with everything down the line. And I think it, to a certain extent, we kind of look at it as endearing. You know, it's just kind of like all kids that are really hopeful and they're just kind of a little overzealous, maybe. And you know, one day they get a little bit older, and you know, then they make some wiser decisions. But I think a, a part of a kind of reformation of the left is going to be looking at it as something a little bit more. It's going to be harder to solve than that. It's, it's a little bit more invidious. It's a little bit more nefarious than that. That's not to say people are bad people. I don't think people that think these things are bad people. That has nothing to do with it. It's just you can end up having ideas that are detrimental for what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so that's why having good ideas, and they have consequences, right? This is something that say, Sam Harris talks about all the time, ideas of consequence. You can't just expect to have any ideas, especially, you know, say, well, I just want to help. And then it's, it's magically going to help. I mean, so Eric, what I'm hearing you say is that you're realizing that my side 
was, was right about some of these things, right? And that that there there really is a danger of going too far toward the left, and that there really is, it really can become a slippery slope. So I want to be clear, like, I don't think we should commit the slippery slope fallacy and say that, for example, if we get, you know, a public option as, as Joe Biden supports, that that will inevitably lead to single payer, right? Mm. Although Corey's side probably hopes that it does, right? Well, let me be clear. I don't actually think that's true. And part of the reason I don't think that's true is because I think that if you, if by my side compromising with Corey's side, because we're not enemies, because we are on the same team, we're both on the, on the side of, of liberalism against its enemies and the communist and fascist, like illiberal side of things, right? Because we're on the same side, we're gonna work together. And we, if we, we come up with a consensus position and a compromise position that satisfies people's concerns enough that they're now de-radicalized and they're less hostile to the status quo, they're less willing to burn it down, they're less dogmatic in terms of demanding that they get every single thing they want tomorrow or else, right? Um, that actually could be an extremely stabilizing thing, and and it, and it would be, right? So like Cor Corey and I off air, we had a, a a little bit of a conversation about FDR, and I was like, um, oh, from my perspective, I think FDR was a terrible president. But that's what 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 I will give you though is that like he did he created some reforms that at least de-radicalized people who wanted actual socialism. You know what I'm saying? And so like. Sometimes you have to give the other side a little bit so that they don't take it all. It's not yeah. because I actually want any of those progressive policies. It's not that mm -hmm. at all. It's that I'm worried about what the alternative will be if we don't, if we don't work together. Yeah, I think, like, I think your guys' worry is provably false. Just on its face, like it's leftover propaganda from the Cold War. Because if you look at every single industrialized democracy in the world, they actually had socialists active in their country. And they're like, and this is what I was telling Rudy off air, like the way that I understand socialism is that yes, if you try it by itself, it's garbage, it's not gonna work, it's gonna lead to authoritarianism, nobody wants that, right? But the way that it ends up in practice in a social democracy like Canada is you get healthcare that fucking works, right? Like every single you know, uh, democratic country that has a better living standard than the United States they had that socialist impulse. They basically, you know, nurtured it in so far as they brought it in to create solutions, right? Mm. And basically made compromises. That's how I understand all of it. And right. you guys are sitting here saying like, mm. if you talk to them, and now yeah, I'll, I'll wait, get to, wait, that, there's a very, okay. hold on, there's a very real problem in America and, I, and I'm, I'm gonna speak to that and hopefully give some points to what you guys are saying. The fact that America has been so fucking terrible at doing that for so long, that there is now whole areas of the country that are third world countries, right? Has led to this us versus them mentality. And I think that the, the bifurcated media is probably having a lot to do with this and everything else, right? So you have like people that are getting more and more siloed into their uh, uh, sections where, you know, the DSA, for example, is actually like Socialists of America. If you go to their meetings, you know, and I looked into this, Rio is right. There are actual socialists there that are like, fuck it, let's try communism. I'm like, okay, Fred, set the fuck down, right? Like that, I, I get that they're there. But when you look at the actual policies that they espouse, they end up being perfectly in line with the kinds of things that happen in progressive democracy. Okay, yeah, actually, Corey, let, let me respond to that because I mostly understand and agree with what you're saying, but I also at the same time am much more sympathetic to Eric's concern than you are. And I'm gonna try, no. to, I'm gonna try to thread the needle there, okay? okay. Here's why. Um, 
it's not a, a law of history that socialist revolutions always result in center-left social democratic compromises with liberalism, right? That's what has happened in liberal democracies that survive, right? But when liberal democracies topple, they often turn into either fascist or socialist dictatorships. So both of those things are possible. And in order to preserve, in order to prevent the latter from happening, right, it's absolutely essential. And this is where I think you'll agree, Corey. It's absolutely essential for center-left progressives like you and center-right conservatives like me to work together to find out a compromise that we can actually push through a real democratic process, which is complicated and hard. And yes. to people who want radical change now, it seems impossible, right? I do. We have to uh, do it. And so like, and so yeah, part, 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 of the pro part of the problem we have is that when you have an alt-right extremist group that is unwilling to compromise even a little bit, and you have an alt-left extremist group that's unwilling to compromise even a little bit, that's not going to happen. And if that doesn't happen, right. our democracy will topple and we will wind up in some kind of a hell. And, and I, I, I want to speak to that a little bit. So I'm seeing it happen now, right? Like the, the people that are, are uh, you know, calling Yang a sellout and the people that are like, and this is amazing to me, the people that are calling Bernie a sellout because Bernie and Biden did exactly what we're sitting here doing the hard work trying to figure out, right? Uh, and, and, you know, they made a bunch of compromise positions that proves exactly everything that I'm saying, right? Like if you just do that, you increase the quality of life and people are like, this is awesome, right? And then it works out and capitalism still works and the rich still get way richer and but like people are just there's a floor um and so i, I that the idea that there are people on the left that are literally just saying no and i and i know some of them right so this is a real thing that like i've witnessed myself you know we're not getting medicare for all so we're just like like fuck this and they get really really frustrated and they kind of walk away and i mean they haven't read biden's proposal before this and i know that it's been enhanced even since then with the public option it's super frustrating but what I can tell you, being in democratic circles uh, where we're actually, you know, uh, going to meetings and electing people and being part of that process, the amount of influence that people that want to just burn it all down have in the Democratic Party is really close to zero. All right. So there we're actually moving into another part. So I want to try to keep us focused on the concerns of, about uh, the Sorry. first part. But yep. we're, we'll, we'll move on from that pretty soon. And um, we're, yeah. we're, all, we're, all, we're also starting to bring in the, the subject of the alt-right a little bit. But I want to, you know, get, let Eric give us a few more examples of the kind yes. of- Yes. Hey, uh, thanks for coming on our podcast. We should probably let you talk. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I mean, no, well, like, no. so, but, but before, uh, before, before I give you a leading question about that, um, I, I just want to, like, riff on your point about climate a little bit, Eric, because hmm. that's another example of it. it it's, it's a good example, by the way, Eric. Like, that, a, it, like the whole idea that we- the perfect being the enemy of the good, like that nothing frustrates me more. Yes, so one way of thinking about it is the perfect is the enemy of the good. That framing also assumes that you even think that the goal is perfect or good at all, right? And so like yeah. from my perspective, it's like they're, it's not that they're making the perfect the enemy of the good. The way I would look at it is that they are trying to use a climate emergency as an excuse to put, push through a far left economic agenda that has nothing to do with climate. Right. Yeah. Especially since you can solve climate by just having a carbon tax and dividend. You literally don't have to do anything else. You don't need yeah. to spend trillions of dollars. You could do it in a way that would bring revenue into the treasury instead of spending money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, specifically, you know, to climate. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm such a big advocate for nuclear and stuff like that, because I mean, policies for that type of stuff. I, I have less interest in that than the advocacy of nuclear, because I feel like there's there's no one thing that we could do that would change more 
faster than doing that. You know what I mean? We, we, we have this technology just sitting around basically that could start. We, we, we support, today. we support nuclear power on this podcast. Well, and, th and this would be another, this would be another, you know, uh, left-wing thing where it just went wrong. Right. I mean, that's, that's 100% on us. We basically spent, you know, 50 years propagandizing nuclear as essentially what we China syndrome, you know, every nuclear reactor and every Hollywood production that's ever existed literally explodes like a nuclear weapon. I mean, we kind of really did a hit job on it, you know, and, and to some extent. So I think it's a little bit on us to be like, look, we got to backtrack a little. This, this is, you know, we just destroyed. Yeah, it's not quite as anti-scientific as the anti-vax movement, which is also on no, the yeah. But it's pretty much, it's, it's pretty anti-scientific. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> especially fusion reactors. I mean, like, there's now new concern around those I see periodically, and that's even really? safer. Yeah, I see people oh. are like, well, that can really, because there's this assumption that more power means a bigger explosion. And it's oh, like, no, no, the physics pumpkins. doesn't do that. It just doesn't so literally, physics doesn't work. It just, there's a reason why they have to use big magnets and it's because if you don't, it just melts through the floor and yeah. stops. <laughs> so this yeah. is my last question for you about, about concerns about the radical left, alt left, far left, whatever we want to call them, right? Um, and then we can move on to comparing it to the alt right, which I think is going to be really interesting and fun. Um, but- you have, a, you have a strange definition of fun. <laughs> yeah, well, Eric, upon this, we have an intense consensus agreement. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, no, I don't. I actually drive my friends and family crazy because I don't like small talk. Every conversation, I try to make it about politics, religion, or philosophy. <laughs> oh, like all the things you're not supposed to talk about. And yeah. my, part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is because my wife is like, dude, you need an outlet for your politics. So you're don't bring it to the dinner table. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, yeah, okay. So we, we started touching on this a little bit, and this will help to clarify Corey's concern about the uh, BLM movement and so forth. Now, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but just as a jumping off point, here's my thoughts on it for what it's worth. And this is not coming from a lifelong Democrat. This has come from a very recent transplant, whereas you, sir, are a lifelong Democrat. So I want to hear your take on it. But, for, you know, from my perspective as mainly an outsider, um, I, I, what I see happening um, is that there are people who want to say things that I've voiced on this podcast. Like, for example, that, you know, peaceful protests are good, but it's mm. also, it also makes people look hypocritical if, you know, they gather in, ten, in tens of thousands during, during a, um, a pandemic, right? Mm. That, that um, I think, you know, rioting is bad, right? And police should break up riots. And at the same time, police should not break up peaceful protests just because they happen to be, you know, a few minutes after curfew or whatever, right? So yeah. like, but that, my, my, what, what bothers me is that that kind of nuance and our whole conversation about equity versus equality is, a, is an even more intellectual example of that, right? Those first two yeah. are much more like grounded in, in practical street life, whereas like that's more of a highfalutin academic argument. But in both cases, I'm noticing that whenever people want to have that kind of a nuanced discussion, they get shouted down and told that they're racist or they're Nazis or something like that. You're not allowed to disagree. You're not allowed to criticize even a little bit. You're not allowed to say, I agree with this, but I disagree with that. And I, I, it reminds me of how I was treated as a supposed rhino in the GOP. It reminds me of how the alt-right shouts people like me down if we disagree even a little bit with the Fuhrer. And it, it, it's seriously toxic. And it, I can understand how that would scare you away from the party because that's what scared me away from mine. So can you speak yeah. to that a little bit? 
Yeah, it's it's at this point I'm obviously just sort of a bystander, kind of watching it all go. But yeah, it's 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 difficult watching, like say Terry Crews recently, you know, had, had his own criticisms of BLM and things like that. And obviously he's African American, and you know, that adds in the dynamic because now there's not the normal kind of racism debates that go on. Instead, it kind of switches to like an internalized racism, which is usually kind he's of an Uncle to, Tom, right? Yeah, well, you know, the internalized racism is kind of like the new, you know, jargon. Um, you know, I think the, the problem is, again, and this is kind of like the climate aspect, that there are problems, but when we, just like we say it's, well, it's extinction, we go to, it's, it's insane, like, a lot of people will say, like, slaughtering in the streets, like, there's literally, like, just, you know, just people, like, Iranian death squads just walking down, just mowing everyone down, it detracts from our ability to say, okay, what are real things that can be done right now that are gonna help the situation? Things like, can we change qualified immunity? Are there changes in procedure for, you know, when you when you escalate violence or, or do you not escalate violence at all? I've seen people talking about, you know, essentially do you try to do a UK style where there's no guns and then you have specialized teams get called in, you know, special response teams, so on and so forth. So there's, there's all sorts of things that people could actually be talking about. Instead, we end up getting caught up in defunding the police. You know, we end up having like Minneapolis and Seattle, and it's kind of hard to keep track now who's promised to defund who and, and how much, but it's just that's, that, it, that is now dominating the conversation. And I don't think that's going to help anybody, really. That's not going to reform anything. It's not going to change anything. Hold, hold, on, hold on. It is actively right now doing that work. Right, like, and this is what's really frustrating. Um, I'm gonna say you guys, because I've seen you both do it. The defund the police hit some whatever in your whatever parts, right? And you get worried about it. And now, and you're saying like, they're doing that, like it's the whole movement. That's not the case, right? There are some, some, some people that are doing that. I fucking love defund the police as a phrase. And here's why. It scares the right people into doing the right thing. And that's exactly you know that real. Like that what is that exactly, like? I don't care. It's exactly, because honestly, nothing else worked, right? So what's going on now is when, everywhere where they're defunding, like Pasco County, for example, is like 50% of the budget is the cops and they run around literally militarized up the ass, fucking up with everybody. It's not even a Rachel thing. They're just assholes, right? The, the cops shouldn't be social workers. So that budget isn't just going to like fairy tales and unicorns, right? It's going to fix things on the ground that are actually helping people. Like that's what's okay. happening in Minneapolis. Okay. That yeah. every, everywhere where they've actually completely and totally abolished the, uh, uh, the police stations, which has happened in a couple of places. It's not so that they can have like a copless society and like just live with, again, unicorns of a different sort. It's so that they can reform it because the police unions are so fucked up that if you don't do that, they're literally defending murderers and just like, no, of course he just, and they're lying constantly, right? So these things have a back end and all it takes is a microscopic little quantum of curiosity to look under the hood of what people mean by defund the police. And once you, like if just removing that bumper sticker, which I know gets people all riled up or whatever, everything underneath that, if you, if you talk to the people that are using that phrase, what they actually mean by it is everything that is in Biden's policy platform right now. And those things are actually happening in places okay. like Minneapolis. That's really funny because Corey, right before you jumped in there, I was about to say, I was about to say, before we move on to the next part, I want to let Corey release the honey badger. Um, honey badger I, released! God <laughs> fucking damn it! Sorry. I'm fine. I knew it was going to come out. I knew it was going to come out. Right. Okay. So 
nuance again. This is interesting because it relates to our conversation about socialism, right? You're saying like, well, the fear of actual socialism is what brings conservatives like evil conservatives like Rio who don't give a fuck about regular people to the table so that they'll compromise, right? And so the fear of defunding the police is doing that in this case. I, I actually didn't think about it that way, but I'm entirely it, okay it, with that frame. It, it's kind of the same argument. And I think that it is a valid point to an extent, right? I think, I mean, it's part of negotiating, right? I get yeah. that, right? I think but there is, all, but that's also that way of looking at it is to the extent that it's true, it's true, but it's also not true about everybody, right? We don't know, like it, there are also people who truly do want to abolish the police department. There are anarcho-communists who actually want, let me finish yeah. this point. Corey. I know no, 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 you're, you're right. I'm not to, but I'm yeah. just saying like, so I think it's important like part 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 of part of having this more cohesive new narrative is that we really need to all get better about not equating you know radical regressives who call themselves progressive right with actual helpers who are truly actually willing to work with people like me right you see what i'm saying and yep. and and so i think that both sides can not as if there's only two sides i think that the alt right and the alt left both benefit from erasing everybody in the middle, right? And that's what happens when we start lumping the alt-right in with the right or lumping the alt-left in with the left. Yeah, if we're narrowly talking about people, uh, like if we're defining the alt-left as people that are like completely explicitly for trying to burn the whole system down, right? Um, and to a lesser extent, but I think it's important, especially with the climate change thing, right? Like the, the, the um, and I mean, I've never met a single person like this who's in a position of power in the Democratic Party, but there are people who exist that are like full on reparations or nothing, right? And like that, like, uh, okay, good, good They're talk. gonna kill like, a UBI how, is what they're gonna do. But yeah, like- well, no, and, and that's the thing, like those people have literally, guys, no power in the Democratic Party whatsoever. Okay, well, well, we're, we're about to get into that. We're about to move to there, but really quickly, okay. I wouldn't limit it only to people who are t as unreasonable as humanly possible. I would limit it to, I, I would call the alt-left anybody whose level of reasonableness is less than helpful, which is okay. actually a lot of people. Okay. And, and, and furthermore, I, to, provide a little, to provide a little more um, nuance here, I think that there, one can be concerned about the fact that using the branding like defund the police, regardless of what somebody may or may not mean by it, in a, in a, in a political environment where people make their decisions based on low information and bumper stickers, that yep. could really backfire. And that's, it that's bad. Why, It'd be really bad well, if it was polling less some, than some 70%. Evidence, I understand. Well, the BLM movement is, 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 is polling very well. Defund the police is not polling um brad who we had on a little bit ago um who's also a democrat pointed out that um and he was actually like a political consultant really knows his shit pointed Sorry, out that yeah, in sure. the black community 57 percent of people do not support defund the police so yeah. i would like to so i i think it could be true that on the one hand your point about it bringing people to the table because it scares the crap out of them might be true but it could also be true that it scares the crap out of a lot of voters and i think that we need to be we need to take that Seriously, I think there's a, okay. there's an additional component <laughs> here that that uh, you know because what I I kind of glossed over because it wasn't really relevant but you know growing up I was pretty poor our family was you know as poor as you can be we in Boston we were in basically every single Boston suburb over the period of ten years you know Dorchester and you don't don't know these areas but they're you know so I have some insight at least in that regard 
to kind of urban life. And my concern sometimes is not necessarily zealots, right? Like zealots are a problem that they are, but I think an important part, and this is something I learned, you know, kind of thinking about Islamism is, and, and this is actually Sam Harris's idea, most of the time, your problem is a gradient right outside the most radical of people. It's, it's a, it's a yeah. much larger body of people that have similar ideas. They have some of the kind of figurative genetic information, but they're not quite as extreme, right? They're, they're not going to go out and blow buildings or anything like that. But they do kind of see U U.S. as, you know, the great imperial terrorist state and kind of the same general ideology. And so, you know, in our situation here with the BLM, I don't see the problem as going to be the, the really, really hardcore people. I see the well-intentioned, larger amount of people that might have really bad ideas about what urban life is and what happens in there and trying to make changes to police departments that they don't understand what the side effects are going to be. Because they, if, you're, if your idea is just a little bit off, your outcomes are going to be a lot different than you think it's going to be. I mean, you know, Eric... I actually, this is the first time I've disagreed with something you said. Um, I, I actually don't see that because I think that the changes to the police department are going to happen at the local level. Mm -hmm. The federal government doesn't really have the power to do it. Trump tried, no. uh, but he can't, right? And so um, I, I don't see that happening because I think the people who are making those decisions are going to be people who do, do actually live in those communities and so forth. My concern is really more about just, I think it's terrible branding. I think that it looks really bad. I think that it gives Donald mm. Trump lots of power every single time that people use that phrase. And I can, mm. I can believe that while also admitting that Corey has a valid point about it scaring people to the table. All right, so I would like to move on to the comparison to the alt-right now. So I'm gonna let Eric start this off. What do you see? Like we've talked a bit about some of the downsides of the alt-left and I, actually I'm gonna quote you, Eric, as a jumping off point for this because I thought this was an interesting astute observation you made in our Twitter conversation. Uh, you said, hey, Rio, maybe you're more worried about the alt-right because, you know, you see them ruining your party or your ex-party. And maybe I'm more worried about the alt-left because I see them ruining my party or my ex-party. Mm. And I, I think that's an interesting point because it does, perspective does cover, co color it. You know, if you, if you see radicals destroying something that you value and that used to stand up for your own values, that's upsetting. So... What, what, what do you think about the similarities or where do you see the similarities or differences between the alt-left and alt-right? Well, it's sort of like, uh, to some extent, because I also grew up slightly religious, so it's, it's kind of like coming out of the haze of, of being Christian or something along those lines, where you can now empathize with people that think ideas that are kind of similar to yours at a, at a different stage. So, I mean, this is something that, you know, I'm, I'm sure, because, you know, Corey and I already discussed it earlier and stuff like that, but I remember my days of thinking about how I thought about the left. And, you know, there's been a lot of changes to how I approach progressive policies in my head, but everything you can think of that would be the kind of quintessential time, you know, when I was younger, where it's like, you know, basically corporatism is always leading to bad things. Capitalism, you know, inevitably leads to bad things. Uh, the states, you know, needs to get more and more involved to stop all of this, so on and so forth. I mean, to write down the line of, of, of all of those ideas. So, you know, it's just after a while, I saw how my own thinking was, I got tricked, or that I feel I got tricked. And so that's why I think to some extent, I get more personally frustrated with the left, because I understand where they're coming from. I used yeah. to think like that. 
And so that is, is I think, why, you know, I get so focused on them. Other than the aside thing where I think the GOP won't exist in, in 10 years. Like I said, well, yeah, that's, that's going to be, the, that's gonna be the, the, the closing out conversation. I'm fascinated yeah. by that because it's, it's very, rubs right up next to a, an area of great interest of mine. Um, which we we addressed a little bit in an episode called uh, the Great Realignment. Um, but okay, so right, I, I understand why you why you would be more personally bothered by the alt left, um, and maybe maybe um, you haven't spent enough time in in quote right wing circles. I use quotes air quotes because mm. I don't really consider the alt right right wing. Um, but it, you know maybe the 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 battle that's going on over the soul of the Republican party um, is not just less personal to you, but maybe it's also a little more foreign to you. And so maybe it's not mm -hmm. fair of me to ask you to, to comment on the similarities and differences, but um, to, to the, to the extent that you notice any or not, what, what would you say they are? So it's between the alt-right and the general Republican party. No, well, between the alt-right and the alt-left or what we're calling oh. the alt-left for the purpose of this conversation. Oh. Like, it, it what do you really... see as similarities and differences? I mean, there's a lot of, there's, one, I would say there's two alt-rights. There, there's two going on at the same time. One is kind of the more, I just call them groipers, essentially. They're not quite Trumpers. I mean, they, they kind of go with Trump every now and again, but then they, they hate the Republican Party too. I mean, these are the party that is, you know, that kind of often borderlines on the racism. So this is like Nick, you know, Nick uh, Fuentes, is I think his name, Nicholas Fuentes, something along those lines. American first, America first type people. Um, National you know, socialists. <laughs> as, basically, and that's actually the funny thing is, is a lot of their thinking does kind of start to, to re-emerge almost like a horseshoe into collective collectivist theory. Um, you know, and, and even to the point where there's actually one that's you know whatever the spectrum you think of it, a little bit more to the right, I guess, with our line right here, where I'm seeing an insurgence of what people call themselves Christian monarchists where essentially they've completely given up on the idea of liberalism. They've yeah. actually kind of come to a point where the far, far left kind of Bernie Sanders types, where it's like liberalism itself is a failure, neoliberalism, neoliberalism is a failure. It leads to bad things. This is actually kind of relitigating the literal debates between national socialism and international socialism, where yeah. you had two people that were very much in opposition, but still kind of in agreement with most things. I mean, no, nothing more so, it seems like, and, you know, this isn't to be like inflammatory, I think, but is, is kind of the relationship to, to uh, Israel and, and the Jewish community and things like that. They really mm -hmm. seem to intersect on that point. I agree you know, with they, that. <laughs> yeah, that, that came up already. It's this really strange thing where at the at the core of, and again, like, I haven't seen any of this on the left, but I like, I talk to cool people, not raging dickheads, apparently. I don't um, think, yeah, I don't think you've spent a lot of time in real far left territory. Yeah, yeah stipulating that they, <laughs> that, that, that that's the thing. And again, like, being on Twitter has kind of helped because like you know, every once in a while, real tag me on some stuff. I'm like, oh, that shit's real. <laughs> and again, Twitter isn't real and I think it's garbage. Uh, as far as like, again, because we're, we're, we're sort of finding squeaky wheels where they don't really intersect with American politics because they're not going to fucking vote and they're not going to start. And you know what I mean? Like they're people saying words on the internet. Um, don't really right. give it too much heat but like it's it's clearly a thing right and then the, the whole idea that like suddenly anti uh, uh jewish sentiment crops up is like what the fuck is this and it really well, just look at corbin right <laughs> yeah, that's yeah fucking I, mean, weird. I mean then like he's super anti-semitic right 
Okay. Yeah. No, not, Eric. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to make sure you finish your thought and then we'll move on to the next. Oh, thing. I mean, it wasn't really, it's, it's just sort of, I mean, there is stuff. I mean, recently I don't watch sports personally, but there was the ESPN figure that, you know, basically quoted Hitler essentially. And, and, you know, he's been kind of having his own foray back and forth with, with the public where he kind of, you know, backs up, you know, he, he doesn't really, you know, back down. He's kind of doubling down on the same quotes. I mean, you know, the left does have relationships with people like Linda Sarsour and stuff like that. And I think this comes back to that point of gradations where it's like, it's not the most extreme. It's the circles immediately outside of it that kind of sit there and say, you know, maybe Israel is kind of like, you know, the bad guy when you think about it. You know, they, they might have well, a lot of money. Hold on, though. Hold on. Because you, you said two different things. Israel is the bad guy to Palestinians, right? This yeah. is the thing that, that, you know what I mean? Like, Israel is a country. And they, we just found out, found out today that everything uh, uh, in the Roger Stone papers explicitly says that Netanyahu stole the election for Trump, right? They were actively engaged in fucking with the election. So these are things that we know, right? The Israeli government is pretty like as a, as an explicit backer of the fact that i think israel should exist yada 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 like you know no one should be threatening to nuke them off the planet yada yada right they do shit that's really bad that's and not that the be, jewish people sure. in any way that is a, a far right-wing nationalistic israeli sure. government that is currently in power that could please leave because again mm. they're like a huge swath of that country of jewish people are mm. not like that right so they got they, they, we can't conflate the two right yeah, but I think that's what happens. Like, do you have Ilhan yeah. Ilhan Omar getting getting pinned as like you know an anti semite, which is completely fucking ridiculous, and AOC getting pinned as that as well when they're literally just very justifiably criticizing the Israeli government. I think unfortunately, it's it's there's going to be such an, an overlap in these Venn diagrams that again, it's it's not necessarily that people are anti-Semitic, but it's like for instance, you know, on the left wing, you might be you know want to support BDS and things like that, and unfortunately, a lot of times they don't want to come to grips with the fact that BDS is going to be made up with people that just are, you know, kind of silently or, or outspokenly criticizing Israel. And then you have other stuff where essentially they're kind of soft supporters of, of Hamas and, 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 you know, different organizations that have definitely stepped over certain lines, you know what I mean? Which is why people end up having criticisms of BDS. Who? Right? Like, this is the thing, right? Like, the... Because now we've gone from people that are making justifiable uh, 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 criticisms, yeah. I think that was stipulated, to people that are backing terrorists, right? Like, prove that. I don't or, think backing terrorists, per se. I think it's more yeah. that there's a connecting point, right? So it's like... Is that... Okay, where? So it's like... Like, like that's the thing. Like, you can't just say it. Because then it's just like... Because I honestly, I think that the comparisons to the alt-right well, and, the, and, the, and, and whatever we are calling yeah. the alt-left... I think they're completely specious. Like, yeah. I don't think that's a real thing at all. So, all right. Well, I mean, that's, that's, look, I'm no, I'm no expert on, on BDS. I mean, so are you saying that there has never been anyone in BDS that has had any ties financially, personally, relationships, business-wise with figures like Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, you know, entities that we consider basically, you know, anti-Israel to the point of wanting to nuke them off the planet. It None is a problem. It is a problem. Yeah. It is a problem like, when re relatively more moderate people find common cause with extremists, right? That is, that is, that is an issue. And I think that's kind of the bigger point that he's trying to make. So I, I, I'd like to yeah. dial down the conversation about Israel specifically, because I think we probably all support like the same moderate position of like a two state solution, right? So let's mm. just move on from that. But I think, I think that there is a problem where, where, you know, people who are, 
who's, you know, maybe, maybe their preference is just a little bit more pro-Israel or a little bit more pro-Palestine end up finding themselves make, making common cause with awful people in both cases, mm. right? And so that, to me, that kind of gets to the, the heart of Eric's major point, which is that the people who are a little bit too tolerant of radicals is a larger group of people than the radicals themselves. And, and we might disagree about where to draw that line. I think that I would mm. draw the line much more readily than, than Corey would. And Corey would be a little bit more, you know, um, willing yeah. to, and I'm not necessarily saying. Well, again, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. It, like the, if we're saying that, we want to draw the line against radicals, right? And that, like, and by radicals, I mean like actual people that want to, you know, commit terrorist bombings, right? Like, just, like nefariously bad shit that we, if asked, would all be explicitly against. Um, just like, <laughs> I think it's invented that that's on the left that people are cozying up to those people. I think okay. it's always yeah, been let me invented. Respond to that. They 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 I literally said that. that Obama was palling around with terrorists. So all I'm saying is, like, if you sound like a Breitbart <laughs> headline, you've got a problem. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, Obama was not doing that. That was conspiratorial. You nonsense. don't say. But like, but I, I. So my my. So we're now we're moving into the the. the I feel like I feel like Eric actually summed up the similarities and differences between the alt right and the alt left pretty well. And Corey, in your less honey badger moods, you've been a little bit more open to my points about the left, the about the alt right being, you know, deeply hostile to free trade and that kind of stuff, right? Well, no, because we haven't talked about that, right? Like that. Well, no, but are... I'm just saying, I, I, but like, I do think the similarities, the, the similarities, stem from both of them having a working class labor movement hostility to free trade capitalism and elite liberal establishment folks and their evil meritocratic work, right? Well, that is kind of where- meritocracy was real, but yes. I, that's like, kind that's of the thing. Like, I agree there's right, some but like the Venn diagram there. Liberals me. like us want to make meritocracy more real. We're not hostile to the idea of meritocracy. You see what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. so now let's move on to the issue of which one has more influence in the party. Because I find this fascinating. I have a position on it. I think Eric has a position on it. And I think Corey has a position on it. So why don't we just see <laughs> what they are? Because I don't think we're going to persuade each other on that because that's a really big topic, right? So Eric, which do you think has more influence? Do you think that the, what we're calling for the purposes of this conversation, the alt-left has more influence in the DNC or the alt-right has more influence in the GOP right now? And then secondarily, in, you know, in the near future or in the midterm, um, the mi middle future, um, do you, you know, which one do you think is going to prevail in which party and why? Uh, so is this just in the party, or is this in culture broader? Like, it, it, I, I, well, I, for the purposes of this conversation, I'm let's limit it to the party itself. To the party itself, um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's tough because you know Trump is actually in office, so it's it's hard to say that that isn't a power position. Um, Sometimes I dislike the, the power discussions that go on because they, they remind me a little bit of critical theory in the sense that it, it goes, well, you know, everything is, is plus power, right? It's, it's not racism is always prejudice plus power. So you end up in a place where you can ignore certain prejudicial actions and thoughts because, well, you can say, well, they don't have the power, so therefore it's, it's not really. And usually power ends up becoming codified in a very specific and narrow way that serves your own purpose. Right. It's like, are you a white person? That is by definition power. Therefore, you know, you can be racist. The other person can't be because they're not white. In the same respect, we're talking about, um, you know, in political positions, you know, if we're going to say just whoever is in political office, then yes, 
I don't think they Trump is in office, so therefore the alt-right takes it there. Um, I would say, though, that the alt-left, I'm not used to saying that, I just kind of think of them as progressives, are, are they're the up-and-comers, and I know this is the part that, that Corey won't like, and, you know, that, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's, but I do see them as um, kind of a, a, a future downline issue that's going to come up where Trump is going to lose probably in November. Uh, I don't think the GOP is going to start winning any more elections for the most part. And I think that's specifically going to be because the left is increasingly, at least with electoral processes, seeming to become more um, infatuated with using more direct democratic ideas, right? Like they, you know, increasingly want to get rid of the electoral college, remove house caps, uh, adding states usually comes up. I mean, I've even seen abolish the Senate as not an actual like fringe position that much. I mean, this is you know, you can go on see editors and chiefs of, of Vox and BuzzFeed and stuff like that, you know, have that opinion. So it's not that insanely fringe. So I think what's going to end up happening is the GOP will cease to exist because they're not a populist majority. Um, and you will now have a new war between the kind of moderate left and the progressive left, probably around those populist policies. Because it'll, it'll end up kind of, you know, be who can control the most popular kind of, of, of rhetoric and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, so can I, I, I wait, can Corey, I just, no, Corey, Corey, I want you to yeah, go yeah. next, actually, but I just want to sum up Eric to make sure I understood him first, okay. and then I'm going to ask you to go next. Because, uh, yeah, I want to try you and You allowed me to run to this episode, extent. so I'm doing it. Well, I, I, I'm power hungry now. Sharpening his razor blade. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I, I am trying to have this conversation in good faith, so I was going to tell you where in that potential future fight, which I'm going to reframe, but agree is where we're headed, yeah. that mm. we're going to be we're not necessarily going to be enemies every day of the week. Okay. Um, yeah, so I just want to make sure I, I, I'm summing up Eric correctly, and then I'm going to ask Corey mm. what your, your take on that exact question is. Um, so Eric, what I'm hearing you say is right now, it's undeniable that the alt-right has more power within the GOP because they've got their guy, right? And, and to mm. some extent, they have their guys in Congress, and to the extent that the establishment of the GOP is still in power in Congress, mm. they're clearly so afraid of Trump's mob that they're going to kind of just go along with Trump, even if they disagree with him about almost everything, mm. which drives people like me crazy. Sure. Um, so that's, that's, but then on the other hand, you think that the future of the Democratic Party, in, and even the near future possibly, um, that the what we're calling for the purposes of this conversation alt left to distinguish it from from progressives for a con for a conscious reason. Um, I don't I don't like personally I, pres I I I preserve the word progressive to refer to people who have policies that are going to result in actual progress in real life. And all of the crazy radicals we're talking about are not actually progressives in that sense because their policies would only make things worse if they got their way. So I don't call them progressive. That's why I call them all right. But. But those people you're worried are going to have increasingly more influence yes. in the Democratic Party going forward. And that's something that I am very sympathetic to. All right, Corey, yeah. let's, hear, let's hear your answer. You want me to repeat the questions or you think you got it? Um, if I have not answered the question, let me know. <laughs> um, the, uh, the idea that the Republican Party is going to be gelded I think has real possible merit. Um, I think like ideas uh, uh, about like the electoral college, that kind of thing, like they should obviously be nuked in the face because otherwise you have minority rule and that's bullshit. 
but that like specific whatever like we can have all those fights later on i think that could be interesting where if it's true and i'm not stipulating this because i honestly don't believe it at all if it's true that people on again what we're calling the alt left what i'm going to further kind of narrow in as those people that to your climate change point refuse to work on consensus positions and like if you look at the democratic party of people that are in power doing things that number of people is zero it's zero right biden just proved it in like because he's a chess master apparently while also like not making sense sometimes when he talks it's just that task force thing just anyway it's a whole thing but if it does come to because it could right like if if we get super majorities all over the place that gives us so much more room right and power is a shithead so like the people that like if if it just becomes the democratic party that has like a permanent supermajority, the idea that the ends of that will calcify and become potentially toxic is very real Right? It becomes a microcosm of American life, um, which is why we will be on the side that is, I think, desperately doing this really hard work of sitting people down and, okay, where the fuck do we agree? And what can we actually do that is real and not, you know, just fairy tale thinking, right? So I'm seeing it all the time. Like, I really do, like, the part of this argument where I am explicitly on board is there are people that are not helping. There are people that are literally saying, I'm not going to vote. I'm going to run third party. I'm going to write Yang's name in. I'm going to write Biden's name in. I'm going to shoot myself in the dick with a bazooka because I didn't get UBI or I didn't get Medicare for all, which when you dig down is something they don't even understand as a policy, right? A lot of the times to kind of try and uh, uh, reiterate some of the point you're making. Um, so I guess that's it, right? Like they, the, I don't, the, the, there is a possibility that that will become a thing in the future. And if it does, I'm going to be ridiculing everyone that doesn't want to work for pragmatic solutions. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's a good place to be. I think that but the problem is we're going to be looking at it in this future hypothesis where there's almost some sort of 50, 50 relationship going on where it's like, you got the people that want to be pragmatic and people that don't want to be pragmatic. And I think what we're underestimating here is that people that are just like Trump, right? Populists, they're people that know how to play emotions. They know how to use resentment and anger and confusion and obfuscation and, and everything you can, you can think of in the book. They're going to win in the populist atmosphere. Anyway. They will win. I mean, that's why populists want populist mechanized kind of, kind of electoral systems because then they really flourish. And I think, unfortunately, that's always going to end up in a bad situation because you're not going to be able to moderate them because they won't have at some point need you because they'll just be able to con they'll just be able to convince other people, right? There's always a, a lot of people that you can draw up in populism, and I think it is, it's just they're going to win. What in your mind? Because uh, it seems like instead of worrying about hamstringing democracy, mm. we could just make the populists sit down by having good governance. Which, quite frankly, that's like Biden all day. That's exactly what he's doing, right? Mm. He's trying to make it so the country is actually livable for as many people as humanly possible in as much, you know, uh, 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 of a just system as, as, as humanly possible, right? Mm. So that it just, it takes the gas out of all of the populist anger, which again, like, again, it's mm. like demand evidence for everything, right? It's the idea that sure. 
like magically, the, not magically, I shouldn't say that because it's kind of mean, but like the, the idea that it, it is necessarily true that it, you would get to this populist uprising moment, it just isn't true. And we've got a whole lot of modern examples of how to circumvent that. And it really just is through good governance where you create a stable floor and enact a bunch of, you know, uh, decent de democratic reforms so that people feel heard, right? Like we talk about that all the time, uh, Rio. Mm -hmm. And, and, and none of that ever comes to pass, right? Like, I, I feel like the solution to that is as simple as, as you know, thorium reactors uh, getting added onto the nuclear problem. All right, I'm gonna answer the question now. This is kind of funny because as the resident uh, cynic on the show, I think I have the most like rosy picture, <laughs> which is really funny. Go on. Um, okay, I think we all agree that the Republican party is in trouble. Right, um, and that the 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 way that the alt right has temporarily seized control of the party is doing so much damage to its brand that it's gonna it's gonna be in serious trouble um, whether Trump wins or or not um, re-election. Um, where I part ways slightly, I mostly agree with most of what both of you guys said. Where I part ways slightly with your analysis of it is that I don't believe that. Um, and maybe you guys don't actually think this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, as we all understand right now, we have a first past the post voting system where two parties is, are, there's inevitably always going to be two parties um, as long as we have a first past the post voting system. So if we were to, if we were to have a, um, a ranked choice voting system or a parliamentary system, then we could have more viable parties, but we don't have those, right? Um, so there's gonna be two parties. So I, this idea of one party rule for more than, a decade is something that I consider extremely unlikely. I think what would, well, oh, sorry, let me, let me finish here. So what, that said, I don't really know exactly how this is going to play out. It could play out that the Republican party gets replaced by another party that becomes the new opposition party of the Democrats. And maybe that's made up of some new coalition that includes classic liberals who are fleeing the Democratic party. That's a possibility. Um, another possibility is that classic liberals fleeing the Republican Party, because we're kind of being treated like crap in both by, by both bases right now, um, are going, they're going to wind up uh, in, the, in the Democratic Party and our very presence, all us never Trump conservatives, our very presence, even though we are maybe only 5, 10, 15, 20% of the GOP, we will be a, enough of the new coalition of the Democratic Party, that we will actually work with moderate and centrist um, and conservative Democrats to totally push down the alt-left completely. Mm. If that happens, and again, I'm not saying it will, if that happens, then the, the new coalition of either the Republican Party or whatever party replaces it might actually be made up of alt-left and alt-right populists. And if that's the case, um, then I think it'll be very important that the liberal party prevails against the illiberal party um, in, uh, in order to just ensure that our country survives at all. I think, like, I, just, I have a hard time seeing that. Like, I, I will stipulate that it's possible. It's like watching uh, Heidi, who we've had on the show, that has we've kind of sort of parted ways with. Um, because you know it really just is populist rage without a solution at all it seems to be the game plan um and she got really mad when i asked what the game plan was um you're not supposed to do that uh, how are you running for congress heidi not anymore because she uh checks notes lost the democratic primary by a lot yeah. Yeah. um and, and you know and that that's part of it right the populist loss in that case 
Yeah, I mean, like, you're basically saying like, oh, both parties suck. Hire me to be a Democrat. <laughs> okay, that's okay. And again, like, there's issues. Sure, but, but it like, works in the GOP, man. Like, people really don't like the establishment. So this is the thing. Like, that's if, really there. if, like, just imagine a a mega psycho uh, in the same party as Heidi is kind of impossible for me. Which is why I'm sort of with Eric as far as the fact that like the 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 power of the Republican Party could conceivably be descendant because basically, like, they, I think. The Republicans showed Democrats how to fight hard, right? By being raging assholes. Mm -hmm. So now, do we want to add states? And let's face facts, like adding states means actually obeying the principles of the constitution that you have uh, uh, no taxation without representation, right? So Puerto Rico should obviously fucking be a state and DC should obviously be a state. And if you want to have the Senate still, there you go, right? The whole idea though, that Idaho has the same amount of power uh, uh, as California is stupid. I think we kind of know that, right? Okay. Um, but so like some kind of democratic reforms I think would be, would be like I'm, I'm all about capturing power because it's exactly what they did to us, right? I think we, I think but we I also think start... on the other side of that, we could end up having a Republican party that's like, could we please, please have ranked choice voting? And like, right. ah, okay, now come on back, okay. right? Because so, I do so think that's the power what, needs to be balanced. Well, that's what I was about to say. It's like, we're not going to have total one party rule um, you know, in, in, in California, where uh, the Republican Party is basically a third party at this point, right? Um, the Democratic Party ends up splitting into kind of blue dog Dems versus progressive Dems. And in that case, in a very blue state, the blue dog Dems are just totally winning, right? Uh -huh. Which I consider my side in that debate. Um, the free market capitalist side of the Democratic Party has total control over California. Um, and to the extent that they give anybody any crumbs at all, it's just so that the plebs will sit down and shut up. Um, okay. Sadly, that, that, <laughs> that's kind of the argument I was making. Like, at the end of the day, that's, that, you know, I, I think it happened a little bit better, but that's what happened in Canada too, right? Like the whole, like, and I, I hate that frame, obviously. So the DNC might split into two parties is another possibility. I'm just saying, like, we don't know, but there's going to be two parties. I mean, uh, that's, that would go in line with the UK. It would mean, be interesting. I mean, that would go in line with the UK because, you know, generally they have their Labour Party and their Liberal Party. Unfortunately, right. we kind of like have ourselves just smashed together. And which and for me, I know Corey probably, I don't know, maybe Corey likes that. He doesn't like that. For me, it, it's it's bothersome, right? Because it's like it ends up me having to like basically work with a Labourite. And I'm like, I don't like you. Like, we're, we're entirely different. You know what I mean? We're, you know, it's not like it's bad. It's just that like you have to make so many compromises. And they're not happy often, right? Because they're well, that, like, well, you're it, a neoliberal show yeah. and you're a warmonger. Yeah, and that's that's exactly that's exactly yeah. That's exactly how Rockefeller right. That's exactly how Rockefeller Republicans feel about dealing with you know like the socially quote socially conservative theocrats. Like it's kind of like, ugh, do we really have to share a party with these morons? Um, okay, so let me so, wait, wait, Corey. I gotta, I gotta say this. Okay, on, all right, please. I know you're right. We got to start wrapping up, man. The the where this becomes, and we talk about ranked choice voting all the time, right? Like the the anywhere where you are being forced to, not enforced, incentivized to create coalition and consensus, right? Biden didn't have to do that. He just did it because he's a fucking good leader, apparently, which who fucking knew. But like that, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a good as a principle, but anywhere where you're incentivized to do that is good, right? And Greg says this all the time. In politics, you only know you have a good deal if everyone is pissed off. Okay. Yeah. So we need to wrap up. Um, but basically, I, I do share Eric's concern about the possible future of the Democratic Party. I, um, the way I look at it, 
personally in the short term is that I want to punish the GOP for empowering their populists and I want to reward the DNC for rejecting their populists, even if it only happened in one primary and even if it's the last time it happened. I think that if, if Biden loses, um, then the odds that the alt-left are going to be able to come back and say, see, that's what happens when you nominated a corporate Democrat go up. Um, and so on the other hand, if Biden wins, you know, we might be able to persuade through um, his approach of uh, trying to bring people together. We might be able to persuade enough people from the alt-right to de-radicalize a little bit. And actually those people can stay in the party. The people who refuse to de-radicalize are going to have to go somewhere. They could either go to the GOP or whatever that new party is. And I can understand why you guys would be skeptical about that. The other option that's probably even more likely is they'll just go back to doing what most Americans do and not voting at all. And I personally would love that. <laughs> I, I think that's the most likely outcome because that's what I'm watching them do now, right? Like the, the, the people that don't immediately get their way that, I, that, that are the people that I see on the left that are genuinely like that, they weren't voting before and they're not going to vote now. So let's give Eric the last the last word, and then we'll we'll sign out. Absolutely, uh, you you kind of summed it all up. You know, there there are certain things like I mean, you know, kind of the last thing that I, I kept thinking about that I couldn't get out is you know I, I'm not entirely bought into the fact that we're going to be able to kind of buy off the far left with with policy changes. You know, I mean, I look at the UK and I'm like, well, they they have all these programs, and you know, they have unrest and they have a lot of the same problems that we're having, maybe to a little bit of a smaller scale. So you can argue, well, it's, it's diminished at some, you know, you can look at different states inside of America, the size of countries themselves. And, you know, they're usually extremely blue and have extra policy, you know, uh, policies, not a federal level, you know, so you can say they don't have like universal health care or something like that, but they live in states that are very much more in line with what they want. And, you know, so I'm not, I hope, let's put it this way. I hope Corey is right. It would be great if he's right. I am cynical that that is going to be the case. I think we're going to one day be in a room trying to bargain, and you're going to find it a lot harder to bargain than you think it's going to be. Because I think that the goalposts are just going to move. And it's going to be, well, now there's, you know, they'll make a change, and it's going to be, no, you're still oppressed. They'll make another change, still oppressed. Another change, still oppressed. So on and so forth. And they'll just kind of go like Okay. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I hope Corey's right as well. I just really screwed I, up. I will do my part to make sure, I will do my part to make sure that Corey's side wins. All right. And, um, Corey, do you want to say it this time? Moving forward is our very spicy gumbo. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Rio and I are so excited that the Humanity First movement is moving forward. Something you can do to help is go to movingforwardpod.com where you can find us on social media, read our blog, and support us on the Patreon. Right, Rio? Right. <laughs>